Welcome to the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast, a free resource for gymnast parents and coaches to learn to fuel the gymnast for optimal performance and longevity in the sport. I'm your host, Christina Anderson, and I'm a pediatric and adolescent registered dietitian, sports nutritionist, a former gymnast, a current nationally rated gymnastics judge, and a wife plus dog mom. I help gymnasts and their parents learn to fuel without the stress or overwhelm so that they can reach their big goals and dreams both in and out of the sport. We want to help parents take a proactive approach to nutrition, and to do so, this podcast is all about hashtag real talk, where we tackle tough subjects about nutrition, body image, and more in the sport of gymnastics. All right, let's dive in. You're listening to episode 17 of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast. Hello, and welcome back. Today, we are continuing um, with part two of our top 10 gymnast nutrition myth series. So um, if you haven't listened to part one, make sure to go back and listen to it. No worries. If you haven't listened to it yet, you're you're going to be able to follow along today, Um, but you definitely want to catch the first five. Those were too good to be missed. Um, And we have five more today that I want to break down with you. So number six, this myth I hear all the time and I speak out against a lot of it because frankly, it causes so much confusion in the sport that a lot of gymnasts and parents have this false sense of security about their nutrition, what they're doing when it's actually like the missing piece for their gymnast success. And this myth is that you have to eat clean to get lean. Okay. So eating clean gets a lot of press time these days and it sounds good, right? Like it sounds catchy. If you eat clean, that must mean it's healthy and being healthy is what makes your gymnast a better gymnast, right? Well, unfortunately, fueling for performance is not the same as clean eating, right? Clean eating first off is arbitrary by definition. Like what does it actually mean? Does it mean no sugar, no salt, nothing processed? Um, I'm not saying that eating nutritious foods doesn't matter. Like, of course it does. And if you go back and listen to other episodes and my philosophy, um, I do think that most of the time we all need to be focusing on nutrient dense foods and the whole grains and, you know, healthy fats and high quality proteins and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean that we also can't fit, um, the fun foods in our diet as well, because food is not just fuel, it's social, it's cultural, and it's emotional. But when it comes specifically to clean eating and you know, coaches and parents telling their gymnasts that you, you know, if you just eat clean, your performance will be amazing. You'll have the body of your dreams and all this stuff will come true. Um, it's not true because the reality is that you can eat clean and you can undereat. You can eat clean and you can overeat, or you can eat clean and simply just not eat the right amount of food at the right time to support high level training. And I will often say that unfortunately for many gymnasts, clean eating can be taken too far. And especially for a lot of older gymnasts can lead to overeating, to food sneaking and to binging, which if we're going to be honest, that is the exact opposite of a parent's goal when they're just trying to get their kid to eat quote healthier. For me, I take kind of this all foods fit um, approach for the high level gymnast diet. And I'll tell you, it really has taken me a long time to get here. If you would have asked me, you know, five, six, seven years ago as a new dietitian, hundred percent, I would have told you that you have to eat clean to get lean. That's the only way all these other foods are fattening and blah, 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 blah. And that's just not true. And if you go back and listen to part one, I talk more about that and how there is no one food by itself that is magically fattening or fat burning. Um, and just because a food doesn't have as many, you know, vitamins and minerals, it doesn't change its caloric content. 
And I think ultimately, you know, when, when we're focusing on helping gymnasts to have a healthy relationship with food in their body, it's, it's the language that matters. And so I don't use the word clean and dirty or good and bad or junk food and healthy food. I, I really try to avoid those words because it can often set a gymnast to feel guilt and shame and anxiety about their eating. And it's those things that often get in the way of them eating what they should be eating, um, as well as, you know, having a healthy relationship with food in their body where they're not just constantly thinking about food and it ultimately getting in the way of them focusing on their best performance. So the goal of fueling and feeding gymnasts is we want to make all foods what we call emotionally neutral. And hear me out. That is not the same thing as saying that these are nutritionally equivalent, right? We know that by definition, there are some foods that are you know, higher in vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and they're quote good for us. And that's great, right? Like that is our nutrition knowledge. But when it comes to eating, we also want to pair that with kind of our, our primal desires, our nutrition intuition to find this sustainable balance that's going to help your gymnast be able to stick to their plan day in, day out. So um, it's really about focusing on what we can add to the diet to make it more nutritious because restriction is going to always backfire and it probably will lead to overeating or then starving and binging or just erratic meal patterns. And it's those things that will be harmful for a gymnast's health and body composition and performance. All right. Myth number seven, which we will have a whole podcast on this topic, which I've already talked about it in several episodes, especially um, go back and catch episode four, all about relative energy deficiency in sport in gymnasts. But this myth is um, one that needs to die. And that's that it's okay if a gymnast doesn't start her period until she's older, i.e. 16, 17 years plus, or until after she retires from the sport. This myth has completely taken root in gymnastics culture to the point where many gymnasts who do get their period thinks that there's something wrong with them. Um, I had someone I was talking with the other day that their gymnast started their period at, I think like 13, which is a very normal age. It's kind of actually on the, the, a little bit of the later end. And when she like told her best friend at the gym, her best friend was like, Oh my gosh, like you're so young. And like, she instantly felt so bad about herself when it was like, uh, no, like she actually started her period at a very, um, developmentally appropriate time. But unfortunately, um, coaches and parents and doctors and friends and families, um, they've been told that it's just normal for gymnasts to not have a period. Um, and that's just not normal. Okay. There are serious, serious, serious long lasting effects from, primary or secondary amenorrhea, especially when it's due to underfueling. So if a gymnast doesn't get their period by 15, they can have what we call primary amenorrhea. And if they have started their period, but then it's been missing for more than three months at a time, that is considered secondary amenorrhea. And while there are um, certainly other hormonal conditions and situations that can cause irregularities in the cycle, I would say nine times out of 10, especially when we're dealing with high-level gymnast training 20 plus hours a week, most of the time they're not getting their period because they're not eating enough. And, and essentially what happens is the hypothalamus, which is a gland in the brain, it's kind of this master gland that's always kind of sensing and regulating and deciding whether or not there's enough energy available or not. And if it senses there's not enough energy available to support a baby, it'll tell the ovaries to shut it down and to stop producing appropriate amounts of estrogen and progesterone throughout the month, which are needed to have a normal menstrual cycle. And so when that happens, then we lose estrogen's protective effects for the bones. And we can have poor bone mineralization, which if you go back and listen to episode 
um, 15 of the podcast, I took a deep dive into bone health for the gymnast, specifically on this topic of how energy availability, vitamin D, calcium, how all of those tie together, and frankly, why we see um, such high rates of bone-related injuries in the sport. And it's not just the overuse. It's not just the sport in and of itself. I would say oftentimes it's often due to the lack of nutrition. And if your gymnast has ever had a stress fracture, um, you know that those can be a total pain. Um, Oftentimes they're hard to heal, especially stress fractures in the back and the hips or the pelvis. Um, I see tibia stress fractures all this time. I will see stress fractures in the feet. Um, And again, a lot of this is due to underfueling. But unfortunately, this is just not talked enough about. Like your doctors may question how much your gymnast is training. They may tell you that you're crazy and that your kid can't train 20 or 30 hours a week and you need to stop it and all these things, which... Um, that's probably an argument for another day that to be honest is not my expertise, but what is my expertise is the concept of adequate energy availability to protect against injuries, which most gymnasts, um, do not have. And the sad thing is that all the calcium, all the vitamin D, all the protein in the world is not going to help strengthen your gymnast bones. You have to make sure that we have this adequate nutrition foundation in place. The other thing that is really scary when it comes to gymnasts who don't have their periods is that. Um, females develop the majority of their peak bone mass by 18 years old. And we know from the literature that the longer it takes for a female to start their period, um, the worse their bone density will be down the road. And, you know, what's really sad, um, especially up here, you know, I, I live in Wyoming, um, but we're like eight minutes from the Colorado border. And I remember one of the like most distinctive things I noticed when we first moved here is that if I go into Colorado, into Fort Collins, which is like 45 minutes south from us, and I go to Whole Foods, I will see a ton of older women, probably in their 50s to 60s, that are completely hunched over because of osteoporosis, like because of bone mass loss. And a lot of them are um, very thin and very lean. And I'm not saying that there aren't women out there who that's just their genetics and that's totally normal for them. Um, but especially when you you know look at states like Colorado or Utah, where Um, You just have a ton of people who move here for um, kind of the health food scene or the outdoor activities, which again, nothing wrong with those things. Um, But to be honest, like that also plays into people who are struggling with disordered eating and eating disorders. And um, there actually is a a huge population of women in their fifties and sixties with eating disorders that go unnoticed and untreated. And for me as a dietitian, I, I usually can kind of can spot it to some degree, especially when you like look at what they're purchasing or if you're with them in a social setting and they're, you know, only eating a salad with nothing else on it. Right. Or they have a a laundry list of foods that they can't eat or don't eat. Um, and it's, it's really sad. Like, it's really sad to know that a lot of these women have been struggling with food in their bodies for years and years and years and years. And now when they're like, you know, what should be the prime of their lives, right? Like they're retired, they got to move wherever they want to. They probably have a lot of money saved up. And yet their, their bones are disintegrating because of so many years of, to be honest, of abusing their bodies by not feeding it properly. And so, um, this is a tough one because, you know, teenagers prefrontal cortexes are not fully developed, which that is the part of the brain that kind of helps us, you know, fast forward the tape and do this future thinking. And so while, you know, I can lecture a gymnast all day long on telling them that they need to have their period and that's so important because it's protective of their bones and that, you know, they don't want to have osteoporosis by the time they're 50 because that's not going to be fun. Like that's way out in the future. Like that's really hard for them to think about. And so this is where um, it definitely is a parent's role to 
make sure that a gymnast is eating enough to support as much training as they're doing, because not only is that protective during their career, but that's also protective um, for the rest of their life. And unfortunately, the choices that we make um, in our teen years and our 20s can have severe ramifications when we're older. And I know a lot of older women that deal with health problems related to underfueling or even younger women dealing with um, health problems and fertility issues from underfueling that, you know, wish they could have gone back and, and done something differently when they were teens. So very, very important that a female gymnast is getting a normal period and it is not um, good enough just to put them on birth control. That does not protect your bones. It does not jumpstart your period. It does not do any of those things. Um, go back and listen to episode 15 of the podcast and episode four. And I talk a lot more about that. Um, I won't get in it, into it today. I mean, as always, you know, uh, choosing to use birth control is hundred percent a personal choice, but I think it is reckless and irresponsible to put a teen gymnast on birth control without informing them about the risk of not being able to know whether or not they're getting enough energy, not knowing how their bone density is. Um, and then to be honest, I think so many of them will then be on birth control for 10 or 15 years by the time that they try to get pregnant when they're in their twenties and thirties. And it's not until they get off the birth control that they then discover like they actually have been having hormonal issues all along. Um, and I've, I've seen that, um, in several friends and several former gymnasts that, um, it's really tragic. And it's one of those things where, again, like they wished someone would have said something and essentially just be informed of all the risk, right? Like I think when you're working with a doctor or where you're working with a dietitian, like it needs to be um, a partner relationship, right? Where there is informed consent, where there is kind of risk benefit analysis and where there is shared decision-making, not just blindly prescribing something and telling them to go on their way. All right. Myth number eight is that lighter gymnasts fly higher. And this is another huge myth in the gymnastics world, especially kind of in the upper echelon elite scene. Um, I feel like there is a lot of spoken and unspoken pressure for high level gymnasts to get all of their big skills before they hit puberty, because there's this, um, kind of like murmured sentiment that if you don't get all your big skills, by the time that you hit puberty and your body changes, then you're just not going to be able to learn them. And that's not true at all. There's actually a whole lot more strength and power on the other side of puberty. And we know that a lot of gymnasts who kind of do too much too quick, they often end up injured or they end up burnt out. Um, I think if we look at like the number of gymnasts who do tops and then junior elite and then senior elite, like very, very few of them actually make it through that whole progression. Like, and in theory, right, the progression through the elite track uh, makes a lot of sense and they have a lot of support. Um, but I think it's just one that we have to be very cautious of and you need to really manage the training load. You need to very much ensure that they have adequate energy availability, availability from the get-go in order for them to stay healthy and reach their goals. So um, no, it is not true that lighter gymnasts fly higher. Um, fuel gymnasts fly higher. Um, if you follow any of Dave Tilly's research, which Dave Tilly is um, one of my best colleagues in the gymnastics world, he is a physical therapist and gymnastics strength coach researcher extraordinaire. He works with um, Dr. Ellen Casey, who's one of the team physicians for USA Gymnastics. Um, and he and I have this conversation a lot, right? Because we both work with 
um, high level gymnasts, a lot of them being, you know, elites or former elites and level tens and their, you know, bodies have changed, right? They're 16, 17, 18. They're not little girls anymore. And unfortunately, so many of them have been told by their coaches that, you know, they're quote too fat to do, you know, certain skills that they used to do, or their lower half is too heavy to double flip. And not if they would just slim down, they would, you know, vault better and do bars better and all the things. But what we actually both have found is that when these gymnasts are fueled properly and when they're training properly and have the appropriate, um, you know, strength programming in there, they actually perform just fine. And so it's, it's really about making sure that we're helping gymnasts to optimize their strength, which is going to improve, um, every other aspect of what they're doing in the gym. And if you look at the force, you know, of certain gymnastic skills, really properly programmed strength training is the only way to mimic, you know, the strength and and to develop the strength needed for that. Um, you know, hundred million sit-ups and B-ups and pull-ups like is probably not going to do it. So, um, definitely go give Dave Tilly a follow. His, his website is shift movement. Um, his podcast is the shift show. Um, he is so generous. He has so much amazing content out there that I think parents, coaches, and gymnasts can learn a lot from. But I think from my end of it, it's so important to realize that body diversity is a real thing, right? Like we look at the average age of um, gymnast at the Tokyo Olympics and the average age was 20. Okay. This is not a little girl sport anymore. Um, and those gymnasts were also not crazy, crazy lean. Like we have seen in the past. Why? Because today's code of points demands such a high level of strength and power that that's just going to put a, a certain amount of muscle mass on a gymnast in order to just even get on the, on the equipment to train those skills. And so there doesn't need to be this rush to get all the skills before puberty. I would argue that, you know, doing so is going to put them at risk for injury and burnout, especially if we're underfueled, which most of them are. Um, and it's really about, you know, harnessing your gymnast's innate strength and power through properly periodized training and adequate fueling to help them kind of optimize their best performance. And, you know, what I love about the sport of gymnastics is there are so many options in the code of points, right? There are so many different skill combinations and routines and bonuses that you can choose to fit your gymnast's strengths and, and her body type, right? It's, it's not a one size fits all thing. Um, so we don't need to have this pressure that gymnasts have to get, you know, everything they're ever going to learn by the time they're 12. Cause that's just not, it's just not true. And I would say that this, this myth is really what causes gymnasts to struggle, right? When gymnasts are told that they would be better if they're smaller, they'd be better if they're lighter. What do they do? They restrict their nutrition, but by restricting their nutrition to control their body and their weight, they're inadvertently underfueling themselves and basically cutting themselves off at, at the knees um, and their ability to actually repair, recover, and adapt or get stronger and better from their training. So then it's this like vicious cycle where gymnasts has been told that their body's too big, that they would do better if they were smaller. So then they start restricting their nutrition, but because they're restricting their nutrition, they're underfueled, so they don't have enough energy. And then they get blamed on their body. So they restrict even more, but then they get hungry and they eat. And it's just this big hot mess that could totally be avoided if we, number one, would keep it focused on performance. And number two, would just spend a lot more time and energy making sure that gymnasts know how to fuel their bodies and are fueling their bodies adequately from the get-go. You know, like I would say level five, six is, is even too late for some gymnasts, right? I mean, if your gymnast is training 15 or 20 hours a week, there's a good chance that she's not getting enough nutrition to support, 
growth development and repair recovery and adaptation to training. That's a lot that has to happen and can only happen if they are eating enough to fuel their bodies. All right. Myth number nine. Um, another one that I thought had died, but alas, it has not. And this myth is that, um, gymnasts need to avoid salt because salt causes bloating and will make them look fat. So we first need to break down what bloating is. So bloating can be abdominal distension, um, from just eating and drinking, right? Like if you wake up in the morning, your stomach's probably relatively flat unless you're having some GI issues, like so slow transit and that kind of thing. Um, but then after you eat and drink, especially if it's a big meal, your stomach will kind of pooch out and that is normal because you just ate. Um, we could have abdominal distension or bloating because of underfueling. And that is something I see all the time in gymnasts. Um, if you think about it, the stomach and intestines are muscles. And so when we are under fueling, when we're not getting enough consistent nutrition, they will atrophy and transit time will slow. Bloating will increase. That gives the bacteria in the intestines more time to ferment and often over ferment causing gas. Um, abdominal distension can cause stomach pain. So, you know, there are several different forms of bloating by you know, saying that salt causes bloating, most people are referring to water retention. Um, but your body actually does a very good job regulating your fluid balance and your electrolyte balance. Like that's the whole purpose of, of your kidneys. And when we look at athletes, they actually need a lot more sodium than we think. Um, definitely a lot more than the guidelines suggest. And so it's actually large swings in the diet that can cause really big fluxes in, in water and water weight. And so um, a lot of gymnasts are are walking around chronically depleted, like they're chronically dehydrated, they're chronically underfueled, they're chronically de- depleted in electrolytes. So then if they go out for pizza or they go out for some meal that is higher in salt, their body is going to retain that temporarily because it's just trying to um, reach equilibrium. And if they would have a consistent amount of sodium and electrolytes in their diet, they would find that things would fluctuate um, quite minimally. So. It's very important that gymnasts are getting enough salt, um, sodium in their diet, especially from uh, a blood volume perspective. I work with a lot of gymnasts who complain of dizziness. You know, they go from sitting to standing and they feel like they're going to pass out or after turns at the gym or even have kind of these dizzy spells, um, which all have, you know, similar um, symptoms to what we call POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia. And that can happen when we have this mismatch in the blood volume, which comes from inadequate, um, hydration and electrolyte, um, consumption, specifically sodium. So yes, um, I do often supplement electrolytes with my high level gymnasts, especially if they're in hot, humid climates or they're just, um, heavy sweaters or they're just training a lot. And we know they're losing a lot of electrolytes. Um, I'm probably going to do a whole nother episode on this topic. Cause it's actually something that I have learned a lot more about in the last six months. So definitely stay posted because, um, there's a lot of unlearning I've had to do in this topic, you know, from my like formal dietetics, nutrition education. Um, and I think inadvertently, especially in the gymnastics world, um, a lot of our gymnasts aren't getting enough electrolytes, especially when like we have such a focus on healthy and clean eating and we're avoiding, you know, salt or avoiding seasonings and, and all the things. All right, episode, not episode, um, myth number 10 
is that fasted workouts burn more body fat and calories. And you've probably read about this one or heard it, you know, being touted by social media fitness gurus. And they'll say that, you know, the quicker way to burn calories or body fat is to work out fasted because it oxidizes more fat. But here's the deal. Fat oxidation during a workout does not equal like fat loss. And so I would say for most gymnasts, fasted workouts just lead to increased stress or cortisol in the body, which can then lead to muscle breakdown. Um, and it also can just end up with subpar performance because they're going into that workout under fueled. So it's very important that we're really taking a holistic look at the gymnast. Like we're looking at the stress load. We're looking at their nervous system. And for most high-level gymnasts, they already have enough stress going on, right? We've got physical stress. We've got emotional stress. We've got psychological stress. We've got nutritional stress from oftentimes underfueling or erratic fueling patterns. So we don't need to do fasted exercise, which is only going to be more stressful for the body. Like if anything, we need to make sure that they are going into workouts well-fueled, which will help to kind of downregulate the nervous system and tell it like, it's okay. You're not starving. It's going to be fine. So no, fasted workouts are not of any benefit. So if you're listening and you're, you know, a college gymnast that has morning lift, or you go do cardio on your own, like please at least grab a a small snack, preferably one that has carbs and maybe a little fat or protein with it. Um, if you're the parent of a gymnast who trains, you know, early in the morning, I mean, I work with gymnasts who start practice at 6am, 7am, 7.30, 8 o'clock, please make sure that they eat breakfast. Like they need to get up and have um, a pretty decent breakfast before, you know, four, five, six hour training session, especially knowing that they've been fasting all night. So they're already depleted to begin with. So the reality is that there are still probably a ton more myths out there that we could cover, but the bottom line is that these myths are pervasive. Many of them sound too good to be true. Um, many of them have been, you know, ingrained in us as gymnasts and former gymnasts, they are pervasive through the sport, but ultimately they're hurting your gymnast performance. So If you want to learn more, I encourage you to check out our blog. Um, We have so many posts on there where you'll find even more information and references to recent um, scientific papers and kind of more in-depth explanations. If you have any questions about these, please feel free to reach out. I'd love it when you DM me on Instagram or shoot us an email. Um, And if you need more support, um, please reach out. Let us know what's going on with your gymnast. Um, and we'd be happy to kind of point you in the right direction. Um, kind of what, what of our offerings could be something that would benefit you. Um, and with that, I will see you next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the gymnast nutritionist podcast sponsored by the balance gymnast method course. Make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button. So you don't miss out on any episodes. You can find any links that we mentioned in the show notes of the episode and also how you can work with us. If you're looking to learn to fuel your gymnast for optimal performance without the stress or overwhelm, feel free to email us. If you have any questions, you can reach us at support at christinaandersonrdn.com, share what's going on and we'll get back to you. Or you can learn more about our programs by going to our website, christinaandersonrdn.com slash work with us. Bye for now.